Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Trailhead, and it is my privilege to get to open up the Word with you this morning. If you want to go ahead, actually, um, get out your Bibles, and we're going to be in Psalm 92. So if you want to turn to Psalm 92, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback one under the seat in front of you. You can grab that one and turn over to page 498 in the hardback Bible. If you, if you don't own a Bible at all, uh, why don't you go ahead and keep that one? Take that hardback one. Let that be our gift to you. We would love for you to have the opportunity to read the Bible on your own um, outside of just this environment on Sunday mornings. Uh, one thing I forgot in the last service, I want to hit it right before I get started and let you know, women of Trailhead, this Friday night, um, it, uh, I, th- I believe it's in Glick Park, uh, they're going to be having the women, Trailhead women are going to be hosting pizza in the park. Uh, there's more information about it in your bulletin, but they would like, if you are going to be able to be there, if you would sign up, go on the Church Center app, um, or I think there's a QR code on the announcements before and after the service. Sign up so that they know how many people are going to be there, how much pizza they need to order. If you're a mom, you can bring your kids. I'm just going to have some time to hang out and uh, have some relationship together. But if you're an adult male, you're not allowed. Sorry, guys. So, all right. Uh, hey. I want to start with a question for you. And this is a weird question. You're going to be like, why are you even asking this question? But here's the question. Is it wrong to want to be happy? Now, that that sounds like a weird question, but I ask it for a sincere and honest reason. Um, I I grew up in church. I've been in, in church most of my life. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you have not. Church is kind of a new thing. That's awesome. And you, for you, this probably sounds like a really ridiculous question. But for some of us who grew up in church, I have heard many, many times in sermons, in books, in Bible studies, this, this phrase, this sentence, God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. Has anybody, any churchy people like me, anybody ever heard this before? God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. Say it so I can hear, give me some feedback. Have have you heard this before? Yeah, oh, a lot of you. Okay, so I didn't dream this. This is real. People say this. Okay, God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. If you didn't grow up in church, if you're not a Christian, you hear this and you're like, oh, that explains a whole bunch of Christians I know. But my question is this, is this true? Is this true? Because we all just said we've heard this before. Some of us have heard this many, many times. Is it true? Is it true that God, because the way this is set up, God cares more about your holiness than your happiness, this tells me that these two things, according to this, are mutually exclusive. Or at the very least are separate enough that one is more important than the other, and that when push comes to shove, if this is true, when push comes to shove, that there's something about being holy that is more important and pushes aside any question of happy, that, that holiness is better or is more important than being happy. If that's true, if that's true, then does that mean pursuing happiness is wrong? Is it wrong to want to be happy? Is it, <clears throat> if this is true, is it going against God's will to want to be happy. If this is true, is, is, is wanting to be happy a, a sin? Is that what this is implying? Now, if it is true, this is going to get really tricky. 
Because, spoiler alert, we all want to be happy. Okay? That's the definition of happy. We want to be happy. So, what does this mean? Is it even accurate? Is God, is God angry with us when we want to be happy because we're not being holy enough? Now, to be fair, I want to be fair, okay? When I read this, when I see this, when I hear this, I think, I think, to be fair, most people, when they use this, what they're talking about when they say happiness is not what I think of when I think of happiness. I think they're talking about pleasure. And there's a difference between pleasure and happiness. So today, I'm going to talk about happiness. I don't want you to confuse these two things. So real quick, this isn't the main point of the sermon, but I just want to differentiate between happiness and pleasure because if we get these mixed up, this isn't going to make much sense, okay? Happiness is the long-term thing. Pleasure is immediate. It's short-term. It's right now. It's how do I feel right now in the moment, okay? Happiness, well, pleasure comes from from substances, experiences, it's how I feel about what's going on. Happiness is about my contentment based on my character. Two different things. If you get too much pleasure, it becomes addictive and can lead to all kinds of problems long term. If you get too much happiness, I don't know, can you get too much happiness? But if you get a, a, more and more happiness, it, it's, it's satisfying. There's a difference between happiness and pleasure. So my guess is, to be fair, when most people say God cares more about your holiness than your happiness, they're not talking about what I think, what I believe the Bible talks about when it talks about being happy. I think they're talking about pleasure. When the Bible talks about happiness, when I use the word happiness this morning and when we see it in our passage, what it's talking about is this long-term contented satisfaction. Long-term contented satisfaction. That sounds good, doesn't it? Like, I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time, and you're like, good, then let's wrap this up, but I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time persuading you that long-term contented satisfaction would be a good thing to pursue. But some of us, many of us, especially those of us who have been in church for a long time, have been taught that happiness is not good. Or at least it shouldn't be a goal. That we should push it aside if we get it, as a byproduct of something else, cool. But if not, it's, we, we shouldn't be focused on it. We shouldn't desire it. I believe I could go throughout Scripture and show you this morning that that's not true. In the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, in the, in the letters written by the apostles, and I could show you in all different places that that is not true. That God cares about our happiness. God wants us to be happy. But I want to look at one specific place this morning, and it's Psalm 92, and show you not just that God wants us to be happy, but, okay, here's the thing. There are a lot of you right now who are like, the problem, my problem is not that I don't want to be happy. For many of us, for many of you, the problem 
The pain point, the tension is not that you don't want to be happy, it's that you don't think it's possible. That whatever's going on in your life, the circumstances around you, the world around you, your family, your, your friends, your relationship, whatever, your job, you just are at a place where you're like, yeah, of course, who wouldn't want long-term contented satisfaction? I don't believe it's even possible. So here's what I want us to see together in Psalm 92. Not only does God want you to be happy, but it is possible. It is possible. Psalm 92 is a psalm of gratitude, a psalm of thanksgiving. We've been going through this summer, the psalms, and looking at different types of psalms, and now we've come to psalms of thanksgiving or psalms of gratitude, which is important, because what we're going to see, and as we read, I'm going to read this whole psalm, and what I want you to notice as I read it is this, gratitude is the path to joy. Gratitude is the path to happiness. Let's read it together, Psalm 92, page 498, Psalm 92, verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The word of the Lord. Psalm 92 starts out and says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Here's, here's what we need to decide, though. What kind of is good is that? What kind of good is that talking about there? When it says it's good to do something, is that, like, is that like it's good, like it's good to eat your vegetables? You know what I mean? Like, you remember when you were a kid and your parents were like, eat your vegetables, and you're like, I don't want to. And they said, you have to because... Oh my goodness. Did you guys grow up in my house? This is incredible. Our parents said the same thing. You have to eat your vegetables. It's good for you. You need to eat your vegetables. I don't like them. They don't taste good. It doesn't matter. Choke them down because they're going to help you grow up big and strong. And don't you want to be big and strong? And, and you're gonna, they're going to make you healthy. And if you don't eat them, you're going to go blind. And blah, 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 blah. You, you eat your vegetables because it's good for you. I don't like them. It's good for you. Is that, what, is that what the psalmist is talking about here? He says it's good to give thanks. Is this a eat your vegetables good for you? I don't want to do it. It's hard. The world around me is difficult. I see all kinds of pain and suffering. How can I give thanks? Well, do it anyway because it's good for you. 
A lot of us, a lot of us, again, if you grew up in church, a lot of us have a, 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 an eat your vegetables kind of view of Christianity. Here's the Bible. Here's all this stuff God says we should do. And we better do it whether we like it or not. Because there's this big God. He's holy. He's perfect. He's powerful. And if you make him mad, he's going to smack you down. And so you better do what he says. It's good for you. And I don't want to do it. It's hard. This is hard stuff. Doesn't matter. It's good for you. And it's like, eat your vegetables. Just do whatever God says, whether you like it or not. Because eventually, it's going to help you grow. And by grow, we mean become a better person so that God doesn't strike you down. It's good for you. Eat your vegetables. That is not, that is not at all the kind of good for you in this psalm. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Verse 4. For you, because you, O Lord have made me, what's the word there? Have made me, anybody, what's the word? You have made me glad. You have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for, here, we can all do this one together. I sing for joy. (laughs) We're gonna work on that all together thing, but we'll get it, that's okay. You have made me glad, you made me happy. It's good. Why is it good to give thanks to God? Because it makes us happy. Because God wants us, because listen, God wants us to have joy. God invites us, the psalmist invites us to give thanks to God because it leads to joy. Gratitude, the psalmist telling us, gratitude is the path to joy. Now here's the thing, I say the path to to joy. We talk about joy, and we can talk about happiness, and we can say God cares whether we're happy, God wants us to be happy, God wants us to have joy. But it's not so simple as just saying that, all of us nodding our heads, yep, 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 I want to feel happy, and then just changing and feeling happy, is it? Because our emotions don't work that way, do they? You can't just change the way you feel. Have you ever tried that? I feel sad. I think I'll just feel happy now. How does that work? That does not work. Have you ever tried to cheer someone up, quote-unquote cheer someone up? Somebody's sad, and you go, hey, cheer up. Did that work? If that worked, that is incredible, because that's never worked for me. It's never worked when I've tried it. It's never worked when anybody's tried it for me, because our emotions don't work that way. Because our emotions don't work on the level of we just choose how we're going to feel. But, 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 we do choose what we're going to think about. And our thoughts influence and shape our emotions. So we might not be able to just go out, I'm going to feel happy. The Bible says I should feel happy. God wants me to be happy. I'm going to feel happy. Can't do that. But we can choose what we will think, what we will focus on, where we will train our minds. And what this psalm is telling us is that when we train our minds, when we focus on gratitude, on thanksgiving, it will lead us to joy. Gratitude is the path to joy. Now, it's not natural. It's not easy. I was writing a sermon this week. This was a rough week for me. I, I, I was not feeling a lot of joy. I told Joni at one point, I was like, I'm trying to write this sermon about joy. I am not feeling it. 
She's so much wiser than me. She goes, well, isn't that why you need to write the sermon then? Right? Because, like, everybody is that way. That's why, that's why we're looking at this together, because it's not so simple. Everybody wants to feel joy. It's a struggle. So what do we see in this passage that'll help us train our minds on gratitude? Because gratitude is the path to joy. There's two truths, two elements to gratitude I want you to see in this psalm. And they're both essential, I believe essential, to having gratitude, the kind of gratitude that will lead you to joy. Two truths about gratitude. Gratitude equals trust plus humility. Gratitude equals trust plus humility. This is in the psalm. Now remember, we've talked about the psalms are songs, they're poetry, so they're not laid out like expository teaching. It's not like point one, point two in here. We have to see the themes, so that's what I want to look at real close and show you these themes in this psalm. But both trust and humility are essential to lead us to gratitude, and gratitude is the path to joy. Now, as we look at this, you're going to say, that looks really simple. That sounds really simple. I mean, I, I wrote it in the most simple way. This plus this equals this. Even if you're no good at math, you can do a plus something plus something equals something, right? And this is like as simple as it gets. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because every single one of us struggles with one of these elements. Let's look at this. Like trust. Look at verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. I think that's a funny translation um, because it's, it's the understatement of the year award. What it's saying is this. God, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything past, present, and future. He knows everything that's going on right now. He knows everything that's going to happen. And he's in control of it all. So he's working a million different things all at the same time. He understands not just what is on the surface, but he understands everything that's going on under the surface. He understands not just what's happening now, but what the implications of what's happening now will be in the future, and on and on and on. God understands all of this. We don't. Verse 6, the stupid man cannot know. That sounds so offensive. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. Here's what it means, though. The stupid man, the word translated stupid there, very literally could be translated senseless, which just means this. Us, all of us, have a tendency to think about what is right in front of us. We see what is going on, we perceive what is going on, and we see that as all that there is. In fact, the language and the word that's used uh, in the original language really implies and connects to animal-like behavior instinctual behavior. Not analyzed, analytical, not thought through, developed thoughts. It's the idea of, I'm going through life and I'm responding to what happens as it happens. I see what's right in front of me and I believe that's all there is. And the psalmist calls that the stupid man, but all of us, honestly, come on. That's us. We see what is in front of us. We see what is going on in our lives right now. And we often, maybe almost always, are tempted to believe that that's all there is. I see what is happening right here and now. What else could there be? But the psalm reminds us, God sees more than that. Because God doesn't just see what's right now, he sees the end of it. That though, verse 7, though the wicked sprout like grass 
and all evildoers flourish. So pause. There are bad things in the world, right? Okay? There are difficulties. There is pain. There is chaos. There is hurt. And I just want to say this and make sure that this is absolutely clear. When we talk about having joy, and we talk here about trusting God, and we talk about having gratitude, none of that, none of that is saying ignore what is true and what is real. We can't ignore pain. We can't just pretend the world is fine. Everything's happy. I'm joyful because I close my eyes to any hurt or pain or suffering. You know people like that. You know people who are trying to live their life as if everything is okay when everything's falling apart. Who are trying to avoid whatever pain or hurt there is. And I just ignore it and I pretend it doesn't happen and I use whatever substances I need or have whatever experiences I need to keep me happy, to keep me moving forward, and I'm just going to block out any hurt, block out any pain, block out any memories of anything bad, and I'm just going to move forward and be happy all the time. But you know those people and it doesn't last and it doesn't work. And the psalm is not saying that we should do that. There, there is pain. There is evil. Though the, but, but, though... Even though that's true, verse 7, the wicked sprout like grass and all evil do is flourish. Look, they are doomed to destruction forever. Verse 8, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. Meaning this, is there pain? Is there evil? Are there bad things in the world? Yes. But ultimately, God wins. No matter what's going on around us right now, no matter how bad things are right now, ultimately, ultimately, God has a plan. Ultimately, God is in control. We talked about this uh, this spring. We were in Romans chapter 8, and if you missed those, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons online, because what we saw is that ultimately, God wins. Ultimately, God is in control. The question The question is not, does God have something going on? Does God know what he's doing? That's not the question. The question is, will we trust that he's in control? Will we believe that God will win? There's no question about whether evil is going to triumph over God. That's not the question. The world we live in is not a pitched battle between good and evil and who's going to win. That's not our world. The battle's decided. God will win. The only question is, will we believe that he's going to win? Because if we don't, because if we don't, if we take trust out of the equation, if we have humility, as in, I look at the world around me and I feel powerless, I can't change what's going on, but I have humility without trust that there's a good God who's in control of all of it, then what I'm left with is not gratitude, I'm left with fear. And fear and joy don't mix. It's really hard. I would almost say impossible to live a life of joy if you're full of fear. But if you don't trust, if you don't believe that there's a God who's in control, then what's going to happen? Trusting God is in control is not pretending that everything's good right now. It's not trying to ignore the pain. But what trusting God is, is believing 
that there's something going on that I don't see. God, this is hard. God, I don't like this. God, I don't like what's happening. But I believe that you are doing something, something I don't see. Something that ultimately, ultimately will be for my good. Trust, if I trust, if I believe that God is the one who's in control, if you believe that God is the one who's ultimately in control, then this life, your life, it's not your life, it's his. Your family, it's not your family, it's his. This world is his. And if he's a good and loving God, and he's in control, then ultimately, he's going to win. He's going to do something good. Now, there's a flip side to this, though. If you can have that trust that God is totally in control, but still not be moved to gratitude if you don't, at the same time, have humility. If you have trust, you believe God's in control, but you don't believe humbly that you're actually helpless to help him with that, then instead of gratitude, you're going to be full of entitlement. Which is to say this, it's really hard to be grateful for something that you believe you earned or deserve, isn't it? When you, assuming you're like every normal human being, when you get paid, when you get a paycheck at work, you don't rush into your employer's office and be like, thank you so much. You actually paid me what we had agreed upon. That's amazing. I do not deserve this. I mean, I did exactly what the contract said I was supposed to do for the number of hours I was supposed to do it, and you gave me exactly what you said you would give me in response. Thank you. I am so full of gratitude. You don't do that because you earned it, right? We don't feel grateful for what we've earned. But the psalmist in Psalm 92 has gratitude. Why? Because he recognizes that everything he has is nothing that he deserves. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 9, back up. Behold your enemies, O Lord. Behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. That's the trust piece. He believes God's going to take care of this. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. That's a weird metaphor. Really weird metaphor. What he's saying is this. Um, you have made me, God, you have given me like the strength of the strongest animal that I can use an image of. So think of the strongest animal you can think of. I would not have gone wild ox, but that's where it went here. The strongest animal you can think of, he's saying, that's what you've given me. You've exalted my horn, the horn being the weapon, right? The point of power for the wild ox. So whatever the, the strongest animal you can think of, you've, you've, you have exalted my teeth like that of the shark or that's, that's horrible. What's a really strong, somebody, a really strong, powerful animal? Give me a... An elephant. Oh, that's good. So, like, you have exalted my tusks, like the, the wild elephant. That's, ooh. We can picture that, right? Okay. That's what he's saying. You have poured over me fresh oil. Uh, again, a metaphor we're probably not familiar with, but the idea of pouring oil over someone is the idea of anointing them. And this would have been more common in the day in which this psalm was written. Someone was anointed when they were commissioned or called to a specific role. 
prophets, priests, and kings would be anointed with oil to show that they had been called to their role. What the psalmist is saying is, you have anointed me, you have called me to a purpose. You have given my life purpose. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. You say, that's not humble. He's bragging. Those are two braggy verses. He's saying, look how strong I am. Look at my role. I'm like a prophet, a priest, or a king, and I've defeated all my enemies. But that's not what he's saying. Look at it again. You have exalted my horn. You have poured over me fresh oil. He's saying, you've done this to me, God. You gave me strength. You called me. You gave me my role. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. I've witnessed it. He's not even saying, I did it. He's saying, I've seen it. And the truth is, and we don't know who wrote this psalm, but just context, historically speaking, and especially in the context of talking about giving, being given strength, what he's probably describing is a battle that he was involved in and won, but he's not saying, I have defeated my enemies. What I see in these two verses is the psalmist saying, everything I have came from you. I didn't earn any of it. This is humility. Not, and look, again, humility is not saying, I, I don't do anything. I have no strength. I have no role or purpose in life. It's saying, all the strength I do have, all the purpose I do have comes not from myself. It's a gift. Everything I have is a gift. I didn't earn any of it. This is the very heart of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. When we talk about the gospel, when we talk about Jesus, what we say and what we're seeing in Scripture is that all of us, every single one of us, wants to earn. We're earners. That's what our culture says. That's what our biology says. I need to earn. I need to be good enough. I need to do good enough. When we come to Scripture and we live life, and we find ourselves saying, I can't be good enough. I can't measure up. Even the standards I set for myself, I don't even meet those standards. I am broken. I need something. I need someone. And God, who looks down and says, yeah, it's true. You're a sinner. You've fallen short. But he says it in mercy. And he sends Jesus. Jesus to come to earth. Jesus who actually lives a perfect life, who actually earns, who actually deserves goodness, righteousness, joy. Jesus is good enough. But then he sets that aside and takes our punishment, the punishment we deserve, the thing we actually did earn, punishment, Jesus takes it for us on himself. Why? Because of something we did? No. No because we're not good enough. And he dies for us, and he rises again, and he offers us to anyone who believes, to anyone who trusts in him, in his death and burial and resurrection, he offers us forgiveness. He offers us peace. He offers us joy. 
Not because we earn it, but because he earned it and then gave it to us. We want to earn. That's just the way we're wired. We want to deserve. We want to be good enough. But it's when we come to this place where we recognize we can't ever earn it. We can never be good enough. And we trust, we trust that Jesus is good enough. And we humbly say to him, God, I will never be good enough, but you are good enough. And we hear him say, I love you. We hear him call us his child. Not because we earned it. Not because we deserved it, but because he did for us. What's left for us? At that point, there's nothing we can do. All we can do is just say thank you. All we can do is be filled with gratitude. And that's not just, just as if this weren't enough, but not just our relationship with God, our salvation from our sin, but all the good things, all the, if you want to use the churchy word, blessings, all the beauty, all the joy in life is a gift, a gift that we don't deserve. And there's nothing we can say in response to that except thank you. But in that, in that experience of giving thanks, our hearts are turned toward joy. Gratitude, thanks, is the path to joy. So see, it really is super simple. You see, you get that? Now you're good. Everybody here is so happy right now. I can tell. I see it on your faces. You guys just look super happy right now. Because I just said it. It's, it's humility plus trust equals gratitude, and gratitude's the path to joy. So we're done. All right. It's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy. Why? Because, because constantly, every single day, we are surrounded by other voices telling us the exact opposite of all of that. Constantly, other voices saying, God is not in control. This world is out of control. You should be afraid. How many voices constantly, every day, are telling you, here's a new thing to worry about? Constantly, here's something else you should be angry about. Be afraid. God is not in control. This world is chaos. And you should be good enough. Look at this world. You better change it. You better fix it. You should be good enough. If you're not, there's something wrong with you. All day, every day, you're hearing those voices over and over and over again. How? How is the truth of what this psalm is saying supposed to win out against all those voices all the time? Well, look again at the psalm, but go back to the very beginning. Not verse 1, but the title. Because in if you're in one of the, the hardback Bibles, and I think probably most translations are going to have this, there's a title at the top. It says, a psalm. A song for the, and then what word does it say? A song for the, the Sabbath. The Sabbath. The, the holy day 
when the nation of Israel would gather together to worship together, this psalm, this song of thanksgiving, was intended to be sung together by the gathered nation of Israel. In other words, once a week, they would get together and sing together to remind themselves that they trust in God. That they are not worthy, but God is good. They gather together every week to sing thanks to God. That's what we're doing. Like, that's the point of what we're doing. That's why we're here. That's why we get together every week, to remind each other. To remind each other. All those other voices, lies. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. This is why, this is why we preach. That's why I preach the same thing. Every time I preach, you're like, you have the exact, the exact same stuff every time. I know. It's the only sermon I've got. But it's on purpose. Because we need to hear it over and over and over again. It's why we sing. You're like, we sang that song before. I know. There's a reason. There's a reason we have liturgy, and the liturgy is written out, and it's the same words every single week. We have to remind ourselves. And when we gather together, our gathered worship is an act of corporate, corporate as in the body, the whole body of Christ, corporate gratitude. We have to do this over and over and over again. It's not a one-time thing. Look at verse 2. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. It's all day long. We just have to do this over and over and over again. We have to sear this stuff into our minds because there's other stuff going in. You've got a ton of stuff in your head, don't you? I got a ton of stuff. I have stuff stuck in there. I have commercial jingles from 1989 in my head. I mean, there's stuff stuck in there. And when I get in a tough spot, when I get in a difficult situation, what's going to come out? Well, it's whatever I've been sticking in there, right? Hey, what if? What if I get into a difficult time? What if I'm tempted to sin? Not that that ever happens to me. I'm not saying, but what if? Okay, it's hypothetical. But some of you guys have temptation sometimes. And what if, what if when you're tempted to sin, what if the thing that popped in your head was that liturgy that we do every week, that confession? What if when you're tempted to fear, to doubt, when you're watching the news and all the stuff you're supposed to be scared of, what if what popped into your head was our... Uh, what if you were preaching and the word you wanted left your mind right in the middle of your sermon? I just totally blank. What if? What if what popped into your head was Psalm 92? Here's all the stuff you're supposed to be scared of. But though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. What if that was what was in your mind? What if when you were in traffic and that other driver did that thing, you know what I mean? That thing. What if what popped into your head was the song? that we sang earlier this morning? What if that was the stuff that kept popping up? 
This is why we do it over and over and over. Faith, joy, growing in grace is not a one and done thing. It takes time and it takes repetition. Look, God cares about your joy. God wants you to be happy. He does. And you want to be happy. You don't want, I don't want, none of us wants, none of us wants eat your vegetables Christianity. You don't want to be in an eat your vegetables church. But that's not why we're here. We're here because God's called us to joy together. And we come together to call each other to joy, to remind each other that we serve a good God, a good God who loves us, who sent Jesus for us. We give thanks to him together to remind ourselves and to remind each other he is a good God. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't need to feel entitled. We can have joy. Joy. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you an exercise. Normally, this is a time where we would have some time for reflection. I want you to do that, but I want you to be actually engaged in this. So if you would, grab your bulletin. You should have gotten a bulletin when you came in. Grab your bulletin on the back. Um, There's a blank space underneath the quotes. There's some quotes, and there's a blank space. And in that blank space, I want you to write something. And if you're like, oh, I shouldn't have written down that stupid chart about pleasure and happiness. I'm sorry. Grab a different sheet of paper. Find something. But here's what I want you to write there. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and put this up. Here's three questions. I want you to pick one of these. And during this next time, during this time of reflection, I want you to actually do this right now. Okay, because normally what do you do? You look at the questions and you go, those are good. I'll think about those later. Okay, and then you don't. So we're going to do it right now. Okay, so you're going to pick one of these. Number one, what is good in your life right now? I don't know where you are right now. Okay, I know there's, there's people all over the place as far as joy. Some of you right now are feeling joy. Some of you, things are going really well. Awesome. What is good? What is good? And I want you to write in that blank space, I want you to write a prayer of thanks to God for that. Humility. The good things going on in your life right now are not because you earned them and not because you deserve them. They're because God loves you. So write that out. But some of you are not in that place right now. Some of you are in a hard place right now. Some of you do not feel joy. What is hard? What is scary in your life right now? What I want to ask you to do is write a prayer to God of trust. Trust about that. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where it's going. This is hard. I don't like this. And I'm not saying, tell him, but it's a good thing. It's it's a bad thing. But God, I want to trust you with this. I want to believe that you're doing something, something I don't see. Something that will ultimately be for my good. Even though I don't see it right now, God, I want to trust you with this. Or maybe, maybe none of that for you right now is nothing's coming to mind for you, but there's somebody else. Who do you know who is struggling to find joy right now? You know somebody. Somebody who's in pain. Somebody who's hurting. What if you write them a note to let them know you are with them and that you love them? How could you encourage somebody else with this? How could you increase someone else's joy? One note, if you write them a note on the bulletin, don't give it to them on the bulletin. Write it somewhere else. That would just be, oh. All right, we're going to take a minute. You can do this. 
And then uh, in a couple minutes, we'll come back together and share communion. I'm going to pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. We do not deserve, I do not deserve anything. I'm a sinner, but you chose to save me by your grace. So thank you for that. God, I want joy. God, I know everyone in this room wants joy. And you tell us that we can have joy. So I pray that you'll turn our hearts towards you. And that in your presence, we will find fullness of joy. In your name we pray.